Welcome in, you knotheads. You've arrived in the nick of time. I'm your host, Nick Cormier, here once again with the latest in pop culture news, entertainment, television, film, etc., and what have you. On today's episode, we'll talk about the new premiere television show from the minds behind Game of Thrones, The House of Dragon, which premiered on HBO uh, this past weekend. Uh, We'll also go ahead and chat about She-Hulk, which premiered on Disney Plus last Thursday, just a couple of days ago. Uh, And we'll also talk about a a show on Apple TV Plus called Bad Sisters. It's a lesser known one, but it's still prestige television. Uh, And we've watched the first episodes of that. So we'll go ahead and chat about that. And finally, we'll go ahead and do an edition of The Muse Room discussing uh, an album that came out this past week by one of my favorite alternative bands. Uh, That would be the Silver Sun Pickups with their new album, Physical Thrills. Uh, So stay tuned. Thanks for coming by. All right, so let's get into that Game of Thrones House of the Dragon premiere episode on HBO Max just yesterday. Um, Going to go ahead and talk about the episode front to back. So spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it yet, feel free to tune past this bit of the cast. Head on over in the show notes to find out when we're discussing She-Hulk or Bad Sisters. But uh, we're going to be talking about the episode first and then my reaction to the episode and what I what I like and dislike about it. So feel free to skip this part if you aren't trying to hear it. So the episode starts out right and you've got, you know, the succession of King Jaehaerys to King Viserys. Uh, the, the young, the daughter, the eldest um, was not chosen because a woman can't rule. And that seems to be a theme in Westeros and with the Targaryen lineage as well. Obviously, 174 years from now, as the show goes on to tell us, we'll be introduced to Daenerys Targaryen, who who intends to break the wheel, as uh, she as she states. Although, you know, if you ask me, uh, they needed about another season and a half to full season of episodes for her to break the real the wheel and do it in uh, with the planned ending that they planned and make it all makes sense without rushing the plot and of having Daenerys go mad in two, three episode span. But I digress. So we start off with King Viserys' rule. Uh, his daughter, Rana, Reyna, uh, God, these names are so tough with the Targaryen line- lineage. Uh, Rhaenyra, Rhaenyra, uh, is flying on a dragon, uh, comes in to be the, God, I guess the, the hand, the the goblet holder of the king, the drink bearer, the cup bearer of the king, right? Uh, smells like dragon. Says, "I went to visit mother," uh, and the king says, "I smell dragon on you." You know, what'd you do? Visit her on her dragon. The queen is pregnant with Viserys's child, presumably his heir. He's preparing to hold a tournament uh, for his heir, so that his brother Daemon Targaryen, played by Matt Smith of Doctor Who fame. Uh, and Morbius Infamy, is what I'll say. It's Morbin time. <laughs> uh, so the, the, the brother, Daemon Targaryen, doesn't need to be the heir any longer. 
Uh, although, don't tell him that because he still wants to be the heir. Uh, Princess Rhaenyra goes to see him inside of the... Um, in the in the room with the Iron Throne, and he's sitting upon the Iron Throne very disrespectfully. Uh, we're to believe that he has a little bit of a heel. He's a bit of a heel. He's definitely a prick, definitely an asshole. Uh, but I think it's a red herring that he's actually a heel. I don't think that his character is actually a bad person. I'll get some more of that in the back end. So, anyway, Damon Targaryen, the brother of the king and the heir presumptive at this point is speaking with his niece, Rhaenyra Targaryen, gets her a pretty necklace. It's made of Valerian steel. Um, so she has a piece of old Valeria uh, before the doom. And and they clearly have a nice relationship, this uncle and this niece combination, right? So fast forward, Rhaenyra's talking to her friend, uh, Lady Alicent Hightower. That's the daughter, the young daughter, mind you, Rhaenyra's age, of the Hand of the King, Sir Otto Hightower. Uh, and they're talking in the in the forest. Presumably, these two have a good relationship now, but might not have a good one later. Uh, I think there's a bit of foreshadowing going on there. In the next scene, we have King Viserys, uh, played by Patty Considine. Con, Con, uh, I know him from World's End fame, the end of the Blood and Cornetto trilogy, starring Nick Frost, Edgar Wright. Ri, ri, I'm sorry, Edgar Wright, written by. No, Nick Frost and Ed Wright, written by, I can't right now. Anyway, Simon Pegg and Nick Frost, written by Edgar Wright. The Blood and Cornetto trilogy, famous for Shaun of the Dead and, of course, Hot Fuzz. Uh, the World's End is the underrated finish to that, and Patty Constantine Considine plays one of the friends in the group, uh, along with Martin Freeman, uh, Simon Pegg, Nick Frost, uh, what have you. Anyway, he's doing a great job in this episode as King Viserys talking to his wife, who's pregnant in the bathtub, saying that she can't mourn another dead child. Clearly, she's lost several to miscarriages and other issues during the birthing process previously, uh, and they're both hoping that this child is a boy. So, again, King Viserys can have an heir that isn't his brother, Daemon Targaryen, who is responsible for the gold cloaks. Um, anyhow, fast forward a little bit more. Uh, and we see that he is taking his gold cloaks and the city watch into the city to cut off the hands of thieves. He's trying to be more firm on law and order, put fear into the heart of the King's Landing citizens. Um, but he, in doing so, dismembers many of them, upsets the King's Council. Um, uh, of course, King Viserys defends him, though the hand of the King, Sir Otto Hightower... Uh, is very much adamantly against the actions of Daemon Targaryen. So they're setting up uh, some some brooding issues between Sir Otto Hightower, the Hand of the King, and, of course, the heir apparent currently Daemon Targaryen. Um, fast forward, and there's a little sex scene. Less sex in this apparent uh, version of Game of Thrones than in the previous version, but still some doggy style from Matt Smith, some butt cheeks. Uh, and then we get on to the tournament itself, where everybody is looking for the favor of Rhaenyra, the princess, uh, or they're looking for the favor of Lady Alicent. So in the case of uh, Daemon Targaryen trying to get under the hand of the king's skin, challenges his son first uh, in a joust and defeats his son handily and then asks his very young teenage daughter for her blessing. Uh, very much trying, like I said, to get under the, the, the hand of the king's skin. 
uh, and successfully doing so. Uh, then there's another uh, very strong combatant named Sir Kristen Cole. Turns out he's a Dornishman uh, who has no roots in, in royal blood or familial lines, no claims to any lands or anything like that. He's not royalty, he's a commoner. Uh, but he's dominating everybody in this tournament. And then finally, in the penult in the ultimate, in the final match, it's Damon Targaryen against Sir Kristen Cole. Uh, and Kristen Cole beats him and makes makes Damon Targaryen yield. So there's definitely some interesting foreshadowing going on for the relationship between those two. Probably a little bit contentious as Damon is laid low for the first time in many times. Seems like he's a great combatant, uh, a great... Uh, wartime battler. The king is called away from the tournament because once again his wife is unable to produce the child even though she's in labor uh, and the maesters tell him there's a cesarean section, a process we've been taught, but you may lose your wife. So he has to decide whether he's going to sacrifice his wife to potentially get his heir from her belly, which he does choose to do in a scene that's pretty horrifying. Uh, they grab her arms and legs and yank her down the bed as the maesters grab the knife uh, and begin to cut her open as she bleeds to death, right? So the child doesn't survive, and that's very unfortunate as well because he makes his decision to sacrifice his wife for the life of his child, uh, and then the child and the, and the mother both die. So that's very, very sad, very unfortunate. Meanwhile, uh, Damon Targaryen comes back to the chamber, um... And or rather they're discussing Damon Targaryen and the king's council because he's at a whorehouse saying uh, that the you know, he was eulogizing but celebrating the death of his nephew uh, heir for the day was what he said about the king king's child. Um, and that was a step too far, obviously far too offensive. King Viserys gets word of this from his hand uh, and summons Damon. Uh, but not, so this is a fast forwarding a little bit, right? Before that, we have to get to the creepiest scene in the episode, which is, of course, when Sir Otto Hightower, Hand of the King, sends his young teenage daughter, uh, Lady Alicent, to the chambers of the king in her mother's dresses, her deceased mother's dresses. So, so the Hand of the King clearly trying to sex pot his own teenage daughter to the king for reasons unknown. Um, now, according to Damon... Sir Otto Hightower is, uh, has, has some desires that aren't necessarily there on the surface, and King Viserys is too weak to defend himself against those desires, and additionally, too foolish to understand that those desires even exist. So he's blind, uh, he's weak, he wasn't meant to be king, and Damon kind of tells him that in the follow-up scene here when Viserys has a confrontation upon hearing about the heir for the day madness, the celebration at the brothel, um, and he tells him, you're weak, you don't deserve to be king, I'll be a much better king than you are. Uh, that's when King Viserys says, you're going to return to your wife in the Vale, who you've abandoned, uh, and I'm going to name my daughter, Rhaenyra, the, the true heir to Targaryen, the heir to the throne of Westeros, the Iron Throne. So that's the juxtaposition behind the entire series. It's going to be a civil war between the Targaryen family for ruling uh, Westeros and setting the Iron Throne. So it's basically Game of Thrones, the War of the Five Kings, except instead of the War of the Five Kings, we'll get a war of some amount of Targaryens. I imagine uh, that Viserys' older sister, 
the former um, daughter of Jaharis will eventually get involved. So that might be a third party. You have, you know, the sister plus Rhaenyra plus Daemon. Uh, and who knows if there aren't other Targaryens that might throw their hand forward into the, the ring to be king of Westeros or queen of Westeros, rather, what have you. So things that I loved about this episode. I love that we get more dragons than we previously had. There is uh, a lot more visual effects being poured into this with the dragons being more present than they were in the earlier incarnation, the original in Game of Thrones. Uh, Matt Smith's performance as Daemon Targaryen is very, very strong. It may ultimately be that Matt Smith was born not to play Doctor Who, but was actually born to play Daemon Targaryen. If this show can su successfully pass the heights that Game of Thrones was at during its season four, season five, when it, I mean, it was always good seasons one through five, right? Six and seven uh, and eight were arguably the bad seasons of Game of Thrones, but the one through five seasons were all time great television. So if this can succeed successfully pass the heights that the original series Game of Thrones had achieved, then Matt Smith playing Daemon Targaryen might be the actual role of his lifetime. Um, and you might be like, oh, Nick, well, how is it possible? How can a show ever surpass the greatness of the original? Okay, we just finished Better Call Saul, and Breaking Bad up until Better Call Saul may have been the best television show of all time, and Better Call Saul may have done it better somehow whilst being a prequel also from the same team. Um, don't at me. You know, D&D, &D, David ben Benahoff, and uh, those guys aren't behind uh, this this incarnation. It's a different show writer, so we don't have to worry about them getting bored, wanting to go write Star Wars movies for Disney or anything like that. Uh, we don't have to worry, hopefully, about rushed finality, no rushed final seasons, no taking the story from zero to 60, uh, no trying to get to the last piece of the puzzle before you've actually laid out all the puzzle pieces, right? So there is hope for that. Rhaenyra Targaryen is played by Emma D Darcy. Darcy. I don't know how to pronounce this last name, so I'm going to say Darcy. And she's only in a couple of scenes, but she steals all of them. Um, so the actress they've got to play Rhaenyra is great. Uh, Matt Smith as Daemon Targaryen is great. Uh, the actor Patty Considine, who's playing King Viserys, is great. Uh, so far, the acting has been top-notch. We get Ramin Dejwadi doing the score like he's done for Westworld in the previous Game of Thrones series. He's the one of the best composers in all the world right now. Um, the visual effects has been bumped up so that we get more dragons on the screen, more dragon screen time, which, of course, we're going to need if we're going to have a War of the Dragons, the House of Dragon, right? You know, it'd be a weird way to call a show the House of Dragon and then not show a whole lot of dragons. Um... So, so far, after one episode of this, I, I don't want to be hype on this. Let me be very clear. After the way that Game of Thrones let us down, they rushed that last season. It needed to be at least 10 episodes. Honestly, probably could have gone with 13 episodes. Probably should have been two more 10-episode seasons. So, realistically, we felt like between 12, 10 and 14 episodes short on the Game of Thrones finale. If they had stretched out... Daenerys's descent into madness over a period of at least 10 to 13 more episodes, maybe 14 more episodes. I think people would have been much more accepting 
you know, considering who her father was, the blood lineage thing, uh, how the people of Westeros were unaccepting of her despite her trying to free them from the rule of the Lannisters and Cersei, uh, the unrightful rulers of Westeros, who had shown very little, if not zero, care for the citizens prior to the arrival of Daenerys Targaryen, um, that I think Game of Thrones would be looked upon as one of the best shows of all time. I think some people still look at it as one of the greatest shows of all time for a variety of reasons. Um, Sometimes it's difficult to argue that. Most times you just have to point to the finale and how rushed it was. However, despite not wanting to be hyped for this show, despite not having any expectations coming into it, I did come away from this first episode... Very, very hopeful. I'm prom. It's promising. They didn't let me down in the pilot, which is a big deal. You obviously have to do a great job in the first episode. HBO knows that better than anyone else. For the people that aren't initiated or unaware, the first episode, the first time they filmed the pilot for Game of Thrones, they scrapped it and they did all kinds of rewriting, uh, recasting, all kinds of things happened after the first pilot uh, was filmed for Game of Thrones, the original. And that's crazy because you think to yourself, man, the first episode of Game of Thrones was great. I got really hooked after that. Yeah, a lot of us did. But they actually rewrote and changed a bunch of that based on, you know, things that weren't working and test audiences and stuff like that. So to have a promising pilot is a big deal. And they once again landed it here with House of the Dragon. Um, As far as the rest of the season goes, like I said, I think we find out that the Hand of the King... Sir Otto Hightower has more nefarious plots in store for the king than than one would imagine. It's probably uh, going to be really bad. You don't send your teenage daughter to fuck the king unless you're a creep, right? He basically says, hey, teenage daughter, go get fucking pregnant by the king right now so you can be you the one who's actually holding his heir. Uh, and if you can deliver him a son then our family can ascend from being, you know, hand of the king nobility to the actual royal family. Uh, And that's definitely creepy. Uh, Damon, his younger brother, kind of alludes to a lot of that, but the problem is Damon's a dick, right? With the gold cloaks, he goes dismembers a bunch of people's hands in King's Landing. Uh, Really brutish tactics. He's getting under the uh, hand of the king's skin, by challenging the son and flirting with the teenage daughter. Uh, you get this idea, you know, that he's kind of a dick. And then he celebrates the heir for a day, King Viserys's, you know, dead child. And that gets you thinking, man, this Matt Smith, Damon Targaryen character is a real piece of shit, right? But it is possible that he's a piece of shit, a dislikable character, and he's right about the Hand of the King, and he's right about the other members of the king's council uh and that he's actually trying to be closer to his brother who won't allow him to be close won't make him hand of the king because he wouldn't betray his brother and it's all these other people who would and he realizes that the whole family is at risk by virtue of king viserys's weakness in his inability to see these machinations by his own uh and the closest people to him aside from his brother so I really do think there's a lot to look forward to with this new season of uh, Game of Thrones prequel. And I'm looking forward to talking about it all the time. So definitely look forward to hearing more about it on this podcast.
Okay, let's chat about She-Hulk, the new Marvel television series at Disney+. Plus. And this one is called She-Hulk Attorney at Law, which I think is a nod to another television show I used to love. A uh, big favorite of mine, Harvey Birdman, Attorney at Law. <laughs> I don't know how many of you are going to get that reference, and maybe if you don't, that was much more embarrassing than I was prepared for. But uh, either way, I'm going to go with it. Um, so <laughs> this show stars Tatiana Maslany as Jennifer Walters. Uh, you may know Tatiana Maslany if you've seen one of the better shows that isn't talked about, and that is Orphan Black. Uh, it was a hit show on BBC. Tatiana got a lot of uh, Emmy nominations for her role on that show. She basically played uh, a series of characters where she was the the she was a part of a clone experiment where many copies of her were created. So there are several versions of her. So just take the actress, Tatiana Maslany. One of them is a single mother. That's the main character. And then you have like a Rastafari version of her, a doctor version of her, a corporate executive version of her, like a Russian assassin version of her. So it's this one actress uh, playing literally uh, a dozen roles where they're all different, unique characters, uh, despite all looking exactly like her in a lot of ways, very similar because they share the same genetic code. Uh, they still are each individual characters who have different life experiences that have made them the way they are. Uh, kind of like a nature versus nurture uh, argument going on there in that, like, of course they have things that naturally make them all similar, but at the same time they're all different characters because they were nurtured differently. But anyhow, the reason I bring that to your attention is because it's A, one of the greatest shows that you may have never heard of, so check out Orphan Black if you haven't already had the chance and do have the availability to do so. But also, it should go to tell you just how great of an actress Tatiana Maslany is. Uh, because that was one of the main reasons I was looking forward to this show. I don't have a lot of attachment to She-Hulk. I don't read the Marvel comics, as you guys should already know. If you're familiar with my podcast, I've told you previously, one of the best parts of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for me personally, is that I have no source material to go from. I know that I could go online and look up spoilers. I know that I could go and find comic books or graphic novels where these characters initially appeared, and I could find out just about anything that they've been through or they could potentially be going through in future uh, television shows or film projects. However, I choose not to do so because it's nice to have a surprise and uh, be surprised by these new projects as they come out. So She-Hulk, uh, I wasn't that excited for it when they announced it because I thought to myself, uh, I don't really love the Hulk. I do like Mark Ruffalo as the Hulk, uh, but I don't love the Hulk as a character so much. They haven't gone out of their way to develop him too much in the MCU. Uh, and so I don't know how much more I'm going to look forward to to a female version of that same character, but it turns out that that's not what She-Hulk is at all. And once they announced, uh, but we'll get to that in a moment. Once they announced Tatiana Maslany as the lead, as the She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, I got a lot more excited because of that experience I had with her, watching her on Orphan Black, getting all those Emmy nominations for that wonderful, wonderful acting job that she performed. So, 
This episode is uh, a quick 34 to 37 minute jaunt. Uh, so, uh, of course, even for a Marvel show or a Disney Plus show, that's extremely short by any standards. Uh, but by, by any precedent that you're setting, it's very, very short. However, um, the episode is great. So she gets into a car accident with Bruce Banner. Uh, a spaceship shows up out of nowhere. So that's obviously going to need to be explained. I imagine that's the tie-in to the bigger Marvel Cinematic Universe, is that a spaceship for some unknown reasons, uh, appears in front of Bruce Banner and uh, his cousin, Jennifer Walters, um, and causes them to get in a car accident, which cuts open the Hulk somehow, which is a little weird because uh, the Hulk can usually withstand a lot of different stuff without like getting beat up. So it definitely was strange that Jennifer Walters like pulling her cousin from the car wreckage, and he seems to be like un- mostly unconscious or woozy. Um, it's very weird. So he bleeds into her open wound, and apparently that's like the dose of gamma radiation that turns her into the Hulk as well. Which again is a little strange if I'm if I'm picking Nick's if I'm Nick picking, um, because I don't know that we've ever had any instances prior to this in the MCU where we were worried about someone else, uh, you know, contracting the Hulk virus. I thought it was, like, the blast of gamma radiation that did it, but apparently a small dose of his blood contains enough gamma radiation to turn somebody... I don't know. Uh, I'm suspending my disbelief uh, for the sake of this, the rest of this show because it's brilliant. You know, she's standing outside of a bar when she comes to. All these girls come rushing to her, and they, like, get her in clothes. Like, girl, you can't be in here in this public bathroom without no shoes. They put shoes on her. Uh, and they doll her up and get her makeup on, and they're like, she's like, I don't need makeup, and they're all like, yes, you do, girl. Um, next thing you know, she's getting catcalled outside of the bar by a bunch of drunk men, uh, and then she goes into Hulk mode, gets enraged, and is presumably going to smash these men before her cousin catches up with her, because she called her cousin to the bar using one of the girls in the bathroom cell phones, um, and then gets tackled by the Hulk, who takes her back to a lab that he and Tony created during the blip, uh, somewhere on a beach, I presume in somewhere in Mexico uh, or South America. But anyhow, there's like a montage where they're doing the whole, you know, you got to train to be a Hulk thing, which is, of course, to be expected. But uh, Tatiana Maslany's character, Jennifer Walters, wants no part of it. Um, she does break the fourth wall by looking into the camera and, and rewinding to this because we first meet her and she's in her law office, attorney at law, right? Jennifer Walters preparing to uh, be a part of a trial. So, anyhow, um, we go through the whole entire bit where the Hulk tries to show her how to be a Hulk. Turns out she's not taken over by some second personality when she becomes a Hulk, which is interesting in regards to Bruce Banner's backstory because that alludes to the idea that Bruce Banner might have some form of, like, split personality or dissociative identity disorder. He's always talking about the other guy, but we just assume that, like, it's a darker part of Bruce Banner, but maybe that's not the case because Jennifer Walters, his cousin, is not affected by having another personality or another person. She is herself, even when in Hulk form. So that's something interesting that is potentially hanging out there for later with Mark Ruffalo's Hulk character. Hopefully they want to expound upon that because I'd be interested in that. I'm obviously big time interested in like the dissociative identity stuff. Big fan of Legion on FX. Uh, David Holler, the official son of Professor X, um, one of the most powerful mutants 
Um, but I don't know if that's going to really mesh with what they're doing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Anyhow, again, I'm digressing. Uh, we do our montage, and we get back to the courtroom uh, where Jennifer Walters is trying a case. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jamila Jamil busts in uh, and starts doing supervillain shit. And I'm all here for it because The Good Place was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Uh, Jamila Jamil is in that show as uh, Tiani, Tatani, uh, what is her name? Um, uh, God, I can't for the life of me remember right now. But she plays a wonderful character in The Good Place. So again, I'm excited to see her here. We're getting all these really good cast members from other television shows, and I'm super here for it. I heard that Renee uh, Goldsberry from Hamilton, the original Hamilton cast, is also in here. She, uh, I don't know who she plays or what she's doing yet, but like, what great casting that we have all of these wonderful actors and actresses in this show. Um, also rumors that Charlie Cox's Daredevil will show up later, which only stands the reason he is a lawyer after all, and Jennifer Walters is a lawyer. So presumably they're both going to show up on this attorney at law She-Hulk show, right? Um, but I do like that this is like a comedy. It's, it's, it's definitely being, it's definitely being presented as like a comedy slash sitcom style thing, which they haven't really done yet with. Marvel Cinematic Universe. The only thing that is coming that is like remotely comic in the pipeline would be Deadpool 3, which is, of course, the arrival of Ryan Reynolds into the Marvel Cinematic Universe post Fox merger. Uh, but up to this point, we haven't we haven't had a whole lot of strict comedy uh, in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So it'll be a nice change of pace to see where they take this She-Hulk series. I'm hoping for at least 8 to 10 episodes, though. If we're going to be 35 minutes an episode, you got to really, like, stretch it. Because, you know, I mean, you can't cut it short, really. Like, Disney, if you only give me 6 episodes of 35 minutes, I'm going to be pretty upset. That's, like, barely even a movie at that point. Um, yeah, that would just be so upsetting with Disney shrinkflation if they just did a, did a shrinkflation job on what is an excellent television show with excellent casting. Uh, I'd be very upset. So, you know, unlike House of the Dragon, I, I am looking forward to this with no reason to believe that it will fail. No previous knowledge that the prequel, uh, or previous entry in this world failed and therefore this might fail too i'm just very hopeful that this succeeds because i hope more of the world gets to know tatiana uh, maslani uh that people go back and watch orphan black and appreciate her excellence even more because of this glad to have her uh in the marvel cinematic universe i hope we get to see a lot more of her and frankly i hope this means that they continue to experiment with what they're willing to do in the marvel cinematic universe because there's a lot of characters who represent comedy uh, and I want to see more comedy. I want to see more horror. I want to see more science fiction, uh, weird stuff in my Marvel Cinematic Universe. Because if we're going to just make TV show after movie after TV show year after year producing infinite content, then it stands to reason that that content should have uh, quite the variety. It should be a grab bag, not all the same old shtick, right? Just like action, 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 team up. Action, 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 team up. You know, we need more Multiverse of Madness. You know, as much as that movie had some failings, uh, it did a lot of good things, too. Setting up for, you know, some stuff that we really need. And I hope She-Hulk does the same thing uh, in the way, in the vein of Deadpool, uh, bringing some comic relief to this otherwise very rigid cinematic universe. 
Um, but if you haven't checked out She-Hulk yet, you should go on Disney Plus and do so. Uh, it's a wonderful uh, 35 minutes of your time. It's a laugh riot. Captain America fucks. Ladies and gentlemen, we got the answer to the most important question. Does Captain America fuck? Uh, I mean, if Haley Atwell was the love of my life, I would be trying to fuck. Um, Haley Atwell, call me, please. My God. Um, JK. But for reals, the the fact that we're going to be dealing with subject matter like does Captain America fuck already tells me that this was She-Hulk and Jennifer Walters breaking the fourth wall is no accident. This was kind of their answer uh, to what they were going to do with the Deadpool slot before they got access to Deadpool. Now they have access to both. Maybe we even get like a She-Hulk appearance in the next Deadpool. I certainly hope so. For the same fact, uh, like I was saying before, I hope we get more comedy in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But what you need to know here is that not only does Captain America fucks, but She-Hulk absolutely fucks. Uh, Tatiana Maslany hitting this thing out of the motherfucking park. So now we're going to talk about our show that you probably haven't heard of. Because, you know, it's not my job to just go ahead and sit on here. I mean, frankly, it's not my job at all, right? I'm on a podcast talking about what the fuck I want to talk about. And, uh, frankly, I'm not just here to talk about all the same mainstream dribble that everybody else is talking about on their podcast. So, I mean, I will talk about She-Hulk because I like that stuff. I will talk about House of Dragon because I do enjoy the Game of Thrones cinematic universe. Uh, if that's what the fuck is happening with that anyway. But, at the same time... I'm just a big fan of art in general, and I'm going to talk about whatever I like. Uh, Sometimes that might not be your cup of tea, so this next segment might not necessarily be your cup of tea, because what I'm going to talk about here, laddies, is that of the Ireland variety. This is um, one we call the Bad Sisters, uh, playing right now on the Apple TV. What the fuck am I doing with my accent right now? I went went from, like, this, like, Scottish-Irish thing into, like, this uh, weird uh, middle middle uh, European Eastern European strange accent. I don't know what the fuck I was doing there. Anyhow, what I'm talking about now is Bad Girls. Apple TV Plus uh, brought this series out last week. It had a two episode premiere. Uh, I saw both episodes. The first one's called The Prick, and the second one is called Explode a Man. Uh, Twenty points to Gryffindor if you've already guessed what the fuck this show is about. Uh, based on the episode titles alone. Uh, the Prick and Explode-A-Man. I'll give you a second to think about it. Dum, 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 bum, bum. Alright, that was my best Jeopardy. You're welcome, or I'm sorry, depending on how you viewed it or listened to it. (laughs) Um, So, the episode titles were The Prick and Explode-A-Man. If you guessed, this series is about murdering your sister's husband behind your sister's back because you think that he's an unhealthy piece of shit who's bringing your sister's life down, then you guessed correctly, because that's exactly what Bad Sisters is about. This show stars i guess there's like seven sisters one two three four five 
six, seven. Maybe there's five or six, maybe seven sisters. I, I honestly can't count the amount because there's so many. It's such an ensemble cast. Uh, written by Sharon Horgan, who's most famous, uh, I guess, on, on the American side of the pond uh, for Divorce, the Thomas Hayden Church uh, Sarah Jessica Parker television show on HBO with a divorced couple going middle-aged people going through a divorce. I think it aired for three seasons between like 16 and 19. But um, she has a writing deal with Apple TV, uh, and this is what she's decided to write. It was a story based on a book called Clan, I guess was the name of the, the, the book. Um, but anyhow, a bunch of sisters uh, all get together at a funeral in the first episode it's for the husband of um it's for the husband of grace grace played by Anne marie duff and Anne marie duff's character grace does not have any idea that her sisters were a part of or it doesn't appear at least in the first two episodes that they have well no the sisters go out of their way to say that um their sister grace has no idea that they killed her husband so the husband's abusive. We're shown in flashbacks that he's rude to the sisters, uh, rude to his wife, rude to their daughter uh, on many occasions. Very upsetting. Uh, and the sisters just want to free Grace uh, from what they see as these iron shackles, these bonds that are on her because she had a child with this man and married him. But he's a giant piece of shit, a.k.a. the first episode is called The Prick. Uh, and the second episode, Explode a Man. Spoiler alert, they blow up the cabin that he's in. Um, but as the episode ends, we see he's outside screaming about the cabin being on fire. Uh, and so we don't yet, as of yet, understand exactly how they did the deed. Only that they did do the deed. Uh, so there's these two men who are half-brothers. And they're carrying on their father's insurance business. And it turns out he was very bad at bookkeeping because if they are forced to pay out on the life insurance policy of said prick, then that will bankrupt their father's business that was left to them. Uh, and one of the brothers has a wife who's bedridden at home with their first child. So, of course, he can't afford for the business to go underground just yet. Meanwhile, one of the sisters almost ran over... Uh, or rather got in the way of the other half-brother while he was cycling uh, on a motorcycle uh, a scooter and took him off, and he you know, had a, went down on the road. So he could have been seriously hurt uh, by a said sister. But now they're kind of in a flirty, like, sexual uh, tension, almost might be a meet-cute type situation going on between them as of the second episode. So it'll be interesting to see where that storyline leads us. Uh, if that sister has any idea about the murder, uh, if these two half-brothers pick up on any of that as they're going along, if they find out that there were some uh, issues alongside the death that may make it so they don't have to pay out on this life insurance policy and potentially could put some of these sisters uh, in real legal issues should they you know, be party to or have helped commit uh, the murder of said prick. So, um, as far as television shows go, this one, uh, again, I'm going to say shows a lot of promise. Uh, it's a dark comedy, uh, for sure. Cause it's in revolving around the murder of a man. Um, and all these sisters, uh, who plotted against said man, 
um, and which ones may not have, uh, and how everybody finds out. So it's like a murder mystery, dark comedy, thriller kind of vibe. Um, I'm really enjoying it. Uh, Apple TV Plus, again, this year has been crushing it with all of their original television content, all their streaming content. If you haven't watched Surface yet or Severance, please go and check them out. Um, Of course, tits like Ted Lasso, it goes without saying. Got to check that out. For all mankind, people will tell you to watch. I personally haven't caught it yet. It's near the top of my rainy day list now uh, because I'm a big Joel Kinnaman fan, and I heard he's on the show. So looking forward to catching up with that. But Bad Sisters, a show you probably wouldn't give a second thought to because it's got a lot of no-name actors and actresses, no faces that you're really familiar with. Um, But it's a well-written dark comedy thriller uh, regarding, like, if you have a family member who has a piece-of-shit husband or wife and you wish you could murder them, well, this is the show for you because this is that fantasy fulfillment that this is that dark uh, corner of your brain being enacted on television. Uh, so, yeah, I would definitely advise that you check out Bad Sisters for sure. All right, so we're going to do our second edition of the Muse Room here on the Nick of Time podcast. Uh, and this this version of the new Muse Room um, is not going to feature Kendrick Lamar or rap as a genre. We're actually going to go with a little bit of indie rock alternative here. Excited to share uh, my review of this album. It's by one of the few artists whose work I've enjoyed all throughout their discography. Uh, and that, of course, is me talking to you about the Silver Sun pickups. So, if you're not familiar with the Silver Sun pickups, first hit the scene in 2006 with their album Carnivas, uh, certified gold by the RIAA. Uh, Lazy Eye is the song you're probably familiar with. You know, I've been waiting, I've been waiting for this moment all my life, but it's not quite right. Okay, that was my best uh, karaoke for Lazy Eye, but... That album was followed a few years later by Swoon. Great follow-up record. Uh, no sophomore slump, if you ask me. I think they did a great job. Uh, then they put a couple of other albums out. Neck of the Woods was okay. Not as good as Swoon or Carnivos. Uh, then Better Nature. Widow's Weeds was in 2019, their most recent effort uh, before now. Uh, and I thought that was they tried some new stuff there, which I enjoyed very much. And uh, their newest album here that we're talking about and reviewing today is called Physical Thrills. So, going track by track, uh, Physical Thrills might actually be my favorite Silver Sun Pickups album. Returning, uh, not returning, because they're not retreading a lot of old ground, but just getting, getting better with age somehow all these years later. It's been 16 years. And they seem to be hitting their stride even better than they did back when they first came on the scene. Um, The first song is called Stillness, Way Beyond. And the guitar in this song is gross. It's just like an acoustic guitar, but the the guitar is just so haunting. It's so haunting in this song. Um, 
I, I don't know. You might might need to be a musician or somebody who really appreciates all of the instruments for their uniqueness. But like, I love me a good acoustic guitar riff. Like, I can't I can't really say it in such a way to convey it any better than I am doing so here on this podcast because it's an audio medium. Um, obviously, I can't play the music for you. But if you have Spotify or Apple Music, um, another streaming platform where you can go ahead and listen to this for free, please check out the track Stillness Way Beyond. It's great. Um, the follow-up track to it, Sticks and Stones, for totally different reasons is good. It's a little bit more uh, of a bop. Um, compared to the first one, no acoustic guitar, um, the haunting riff. This one's more uh, the lead singer of the band just carrying the shit out of them because he's a wonderful singer. Uh, that, of course, being Brian Aubert. Um, really, really knows how to carry a good tune. I do love his voice. It's so mellow. Um, other big-time hits on this album are... Scared together. It's a uh, another anthem. It's a bop. It's not so much like a haunting guitar riff. It's like more alternative. It's got like some of the Bon Jovi. Wow, 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 going on with it. So uh, check check out Scared Together. It's one of my recommended tracks. Then you get Alone on a Hill, which is the follow-up track right after Scared Together. What's great about Alone on a Hill is it's Nikki Moninger. It's the bassist. She's they got a female bassist, uh, and she doesn't do a lot of singing for the band. But when she does, it's just so pretty. Um, so it's interesting. I read in, a, in an interview that they kind of like told her to sing this song and just like search for your inner. Um, uh, what's the the Kate Bush? They said, look for your inner Kate Bush, you know, uh, of running up that hill. Stranger Things season volume four fame. Um, and she kind of definitely re- reaches that. It's definitely uh, a Kate Bushy vibe, which I'm totally digging. Uh, it's called Alone on a Hill. Like I said, it's uh, the bassist doing her best job singing Nikki Moninger. Uh, and that's another one of the highlights on this album. And then finally, uh, I'll say We Won't Come Out is a song that definitely jams. Uh, there's strong piano um, on this one. Uh, so kind of like the first track having a sick acoustic guitar line. On this one, there's uh, a nice piano uh, backing backing up the entire song i really do think that some of the lyrics are good too uh said i mean can you hear me do you still feel me do you fear me so enlightened a little frightened we've got questions that need attention some witty banter but no wrong answers and or we won't come out um Anyhow, I'm not doing justice to this because I realize as a podcast, it's hard to do justice to songs like this. So in summation, there's a couple of highlights. I suggest you listen to the whole album front to back. I can do it uh, multiple times, which is why I recommend it. If uh, I'm recommending an album on this show, 
I really do think that it is pretty much flawless, which is to say I'm not going to give you an album that I enjoy 6 out of 12 tracks on because I don't think that makes for a great music recommendation, and it doesn't belong in the newsroom when that's the case. I'm only going to bring on albums and artists that I think are worthy of the recommendation. I'm putting my name and the not pod behind it. So, in this case, you can listen to Physical Thrills top to bottom, but if you just want to give it a little taste, then try out track one, Stillness, Way Beyond. Track, check out track two, Sticks and Stones. Check out track six, Alone on a Hill. And track 11, We Won't Come Out. And maybe track 13, Quicksand as well. Um, those are the my personal favorite tracks on the album, but it is, again, a front-to-back listen. It's a hit. Uh, on a scale of 10, I would give it a strong 8. I think it's very good, and I think it's worth your time, especially if you appreciate indie rock, alternative rock, uh, or if you heard Silver Sun pick us previously. Maybe you heard Lazy Eye. Maybe you uh, played Guitar Hero or Rock Band and played out and jammed to that song. This album is worth your time, uh, especially when streaming platforms basically make this stuff free so you don't have to pay for it anyway. It's not like pay-to-play. You're already in. You might as well give something nice and new a listen, so... Check out Physical Thrills' new album by the Silver Sun Pickups.